Hey, it's been such a joy hanging out and being a part of what God's doing at Revelation Church. This is a pumping church. If you're looking for a good church to join, you'd be stupid not to join this church. <laughs> it really is a pumping church. God's doing some wonderful things. It's been my great joy to get to know Skeff, Davina, and uh, their family over the last, it must be about five years now. I think I met you in 2004 which is amazing, so it's just been a fantastic journey seeing what God is doing with Steph and Davina and you guys. Uh, I uh, was saying this morning I got to be in a meeting about three years ago in a little front room with a handful of people prophesying, dreaming, talking about what God could possibly do in the city of London and here's the fruits. And uh, I just find it such a privilege to be able to be serving God's people and to be able to be serving you tonight. I really believe God wants to minister to many of you tonight. God wants to speak to many of you. God wants to encourage many of you. Isn't it wonderful that we serve a kind and gracious God? I do thank God for that. I thank God that he's not angry with me anymore. It really is wonderful to know that someone else took my place. And his name is Jesus, and I get to stand before the king free. I get to stand before the one I love completely free. No fear. No fear, but in perfect love. It's wonderful. What an incredible privilege. Father, I thank you for your presence here tonight. We love you. We honor you. We thank you that you wanted to touch many people. I ask you to come and help me tonight. Help me communicate truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read uh, some scriptures. I want to talk today a little bit about living under an open heaven. Some of you might never have heard that phrase, open heaven. You might be saying, Julian, what does that mean? Well, simply I'm going to talk to you about living in the direct way of God's favor and blessing on your life. I'm going to talk about living in such a way as to enjoy all that Jesus paid for you at the cross. So Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What a fantastic text. What a fantastic scripture. Don't you love the fact that the Bible is not something that's dead but it's living and it is active and changing and moving and shaping our lives. I I so love the scriptures because it reveals Jesus to me in such a wonderful way. And this evening I want to talk a little bit about how we get to live in free access to heaven, as it were, how we get to enjoy the purposes of God for our life. I don't know about you, but if God's doing something, if God's pouring out his spirit, I want to get in the way of that. I want to get right underneath his blessing and say, pour it out upon me. Um, I'm completely selfish about the blessing of God. And the reason I am is because when I get to enjoy him, when I get to love him, when I get satisfied in him, His glory in me becomes brighter and brighter and he receives a whole lot more glory. 
And so I'm hungry for the blessing and favor of heaven. And tonight I want to talk a little bit about how you get to live under an open heaven, how you get to live in the direct way of his favor. The writer to the Hebrews um, a few pages earlier is talking about, and he's talking to a predominantly Jewish audience, okay? And he's talking about what he calls the heavenly pattern. He's talking about uh, the foreshadowing of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant with all of its rules, all of its regulations, and its temple, which was central to the nation of Israel, which was central to God's people, the Jews at the time, which was central to worship. He was talking about all of that being a pattern, being a picture which pointed to a greater reality called Jesus. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's talking about the glorious truth of how God chose a people and out of that people brought a Messiah, a Savior, a Savior who radically changed everything. And the writer to the Hebrews is giving us a glimpse about our access that we have right into the very courts of heaven. It is absolutely jam-packed with incredible truth. And I want to touch a little bit on this. You know, Jesus lived and modeled a life of what it was like to live in the favor of God. He modeled for us what it's like to live a life that can move in supernatural power, that can actually say no to sin. He lived what what it was like for a man to walk in human flesh, anointed by the Spirit, and demonstrating the kingdom of God wherever he went. And the promise in John chapter 14 is that you and I get to live in that blessing too. You and I get to do greater things than even Jesus did. The last time I looked up that word in the Greek, it literally means greater, just by the way. (laughs) You get to do greater things. You get to live in a way that Jesus lived. And Jesus seems to me, the way he lived was in direct relationship with the Father. There was no hindrance between him and the Father because sin was not an issue in his life. While he was tempted, he had never sinned and the result was he had free access into the heavens. And so he says things in John chapter 3 like this, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I be- how can you believe heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who descended, who is in heaven. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a, a mind-bender, because basically he's saying, by the way, even though I'm standing right here, right now, actually my place is in heaven. And he lived his life from the perspective of heaven. He lived his life from the perspective of God's dwelling place. And so he says things like, I do nothing unless I see my Father do. He says things like, even now, as the Son, the Father is working and the Son is working. He seemed to have this incredible relationship with his Father in heaven, which caused him to demonstrate his Father's will. Even teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, pray this prayer, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His whole perspective, the way he lived, the way he moved was from a heavenly perspective. And it's important for us to understand that if we want to live like Jesus did, if we want to do the things that Jesus did, we need to live the way he lived. Jesus lived aware of this realm called heaven. 
And even right at the beginning of his ministry, the first thing he said was repent. Change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the predominant thinking pattern of Jesus. His kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love that phrase, John Wimber, who's an amazing man of God, used to say, the kingdom of heaven is within arm's reach. Now we need to understand a little bit about Jesus' theology of heaven if we're to understand how we can live as those who have a heavenly perspective, as those who live in unhindered favor on our lives. To the Jewish mindset, when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they have a very different mindset to what we have. You see, for most of us in the West, when we think about heaven, if I had to ask you, so what do you think about heaven? Many people would say, I can't wait to die and go to heaven. All right, they think about heaven as a post-mortem destiny. They think about heaven as the, the, the place you go to when you die. But for the Jewish mindset, and this is exactly what the writer to the Hebrews was arguing, heaven was not something that was a, a reality that we waited for when we died. Heaven is a coexisting reality to everything we see around here. You see, you need to understand that they understood something of Yahweh and his greatness. And heaven was the domain, was the dwelling place of Yahweh, the God who created everything. Heaven was where Yahweh's throne was established. Heaven is where God ruled the earth. Heaven is where God makes things happen. Heaven is where everything that we see was created from. They understood that heaven wasn't simply something that was going to happen when we died. I love Anthony Wright. He makes an incredible statement that heaven is not a post-mortem reality, but a reality that coexists right now with the realm of earth. Heaven is the very dwelling place of the holy God. Heaven is the very dwelling place of Yahweh, the creator the Lord most holy. And they would have understood when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They would have understood something very different from the way we understand heaven. They would have understood that something of Yahweh's rule and gracious reign was about to break out. Something of his kingdom, his domain, his dwelling place was about to break out right in their world. Again, they would have understood something of that because they would have heard their prophets talk about it. They would have heard their prophets in the Old Testament prophesy saying things like, Oh Lord, that you would rend the heaven and come down and change the world. They would have remembered some of the prophecies of Isaiah saying, I saw the heavens open and I saw the Lord's. They would have remembered the stories of, uh, of Ezekiel saying, I saw heaven opening. They would have remembered the promise that there is a kingdom that is coming with one called the Messiah where heaven's reality, Yahweh's domain would finally be established across the whole earth and many, many would come to a mountain worshipping saying, he is our God. They would have remembered that, they would have understood that, they would have understood that heaven was a coexisting reality that could break in at any moment. And so when Jesus says repent, he's literally saying you need to think differently about the way you've seen heaven. Because heaven 
Yahweh's dwelling place, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who is all-powerful, his domain is about to break out in your world. Remember when Jesus got baptized, something radically changed forever. Something radically was demonstrated, which is now for the Christian an ever-increasing reality. You see, when he came out the waters of baptism, the Bible says that the heavens tore open. The heavens tore open. All of a sudden, there was a man on planet Earth who had access to Yahweh's domain, who had access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords' domain, and wherever he went, he went preaching, saying, the kingdom is within arm's reach. You are going to begin to see something of God's rule, God's reign, God's gracious interaction with man breaking out in your life. That's what he was saying. And the Jews would have understood this incredible thing. They also have understood that God's primary way of demonstrating what heaven was like was through the temple. So you read the scriptures in Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, the writer is saying the, the, the pattern of the temple is a pattern pertaining to heavenly things, the writer to Hebrews says. And they would have understood some of the analogies that the writer to the Hebrews was speaking about. They would have understood that there was a man and a woman who lived in intimacy and radical, deep relationship with a good father, with a good God. They would have understood they would have had interaction with the king of kings. And they also would have understood that this man and woman sinned and they left a garden called Eden, never to be able to enter back in to that place of intimacy, to that place of radical relationship with the king who created everything. They would have understood that because story after story would have been told as they read the first five books of the Bible about this man and a woman who sinned and the result of the sin was that evil had free reign on the earth. The result of the sin was they no longer had access to the domain of the king of kings. They no longer could press in to heaven. They would have understood that. And then they would have understood that the temple was a picture of what heaven was like. And so for us to understand what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, what the great incredible invocation that we find in Hebrews chapter 10 is, I want to take you on a quick journey of what it was like for the Jew entering into the presence of God, what it was like for God's people under the old covenant to really enjoy intimacy as much as they could with the God of heaven. And so the temple was a picture of what it's like in heaven. And the first thing that they would understand about heaven was they'd see big brass doors that would shut the people out of the temple. It was a picture, you see. It was a picture that you don't have free access into heaven anymore. You don't. They would have understood that and they had to push those doors open. It was hard work. And the law and living under the law and all of its rules and regulations of the old covenant was hard work. It was not easy. 
it was hard work and they had to push this door open. And as they pushed the door open, they come into what's called an outer court. And if you were a Gentile, if you were a non-Jew, that was about it. You didn't get access to anything else. You just got to have a little look in the outer court. You could not go anywhere else into the presence of God. You could not progress any further. And the Jews would then take their sacrifice and they walk into the inner court and give it to the priest. And that was it for the Jews. They couldn't go any further. It was all a picture of how, because of our sinful state, because of what we did, because of our wrong choices, we have been shut out from the very dwelling place of God. That is what that picture was in the temple. And then a Jewish priest will take the sacrifice and sacrifice it before God to offer atonement, to offer, uh, 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 as it were, um, uh, atonement for the sins of the people, to say to God, you see, because of this, uh, this lamb, because of this one, will you take away the sins of the world? And then only one priest, once a year, would have the privilege of going into what was called the most holy place. And what he'd do is he'd take some blood from the lamb that had been destroyed. And he'd take this blood and he'd go through a curtain. This curtain was made out of incredible material and it was humongous. And he'd have to go through the curtain to get into what was called the most holy place. And in the most holy place lived and dwelt the very presence of God in what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant literally housed the very manifestation of God's presence. Which is why under the Old Testament there was often a fight over the Ark of the Covenant. Because they knew if they got the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, they get the blessing of the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest would go through, one priest, once a year, that was it, would go through this curtain. And the first thing he'd do is breathe a sigh of relief. Reason being, he wasn't killed on the spot. You see, you couldn't stand before a holy God with sin in your life. You just can't do that. It's impossible. And he'd breathe a sigh of relief going, it's okay. And then he'd see blood on the floor all the way to the mercy seat. Because what the priest would do is he'd sprinkle blood on the floor so that as he was approaching God the sacrifice of the lamb would atone for his sin and he'd come to the mercy seat and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. You can read about this in Hebrews. Sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sin of all of Israel. It was a picture of what it was like to try and get close to God. The writer to the Hebrews is saying something very different to us. He's saying we have got free access. Because there is one who's gone ahead of us called Jesus, whose blood has been sprinkled on the floor of heaven. And we do not walk on our own righteousness. We do not walk on our own sacrifice. We walk on the sacrifice of one who's gone before us. His blood has been sprinkled on the floor and is on the mercy seat of heaven so that you and I can now have free access right into the very dwelling place, the very domain of a holy, pure, just, amazing, all-powerful God. Man alive, that's radical. 
No more hard work of sacrifice. No more hard work of trying to push through something. No more hard work of trying to uh, get close. No more hard work of trying to say, I need to do more. I need to be more. I need to serve more. I need to pray more. I need to fast more. I need to try and get close to God. No, no. The Bible says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, there is blood on the floor in heaven tonight and you can have free access to heavenly perspective. You can have free access to God's domain in every single area of your life. Whoa! It's the most radical truth. If you are a Christian here tonight, there is no door that blocks you from entering into the presence of God. And we see an amazing transition that happens between the old and the new. Under the old, they're saying, God, rend the heavens. Please come down. Under the old, we see Malachi. Malachi only gets a little window of blessing. But under the new covenant, we see Stephen as he's been stoned saying, and I saw the heavens opened. Not opening. I saw the heavens opened. It's eternally open to the Christian. Under the new covenant, you don't just get a little window of heavenly blessings. Under the new covenant, the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos got a door wide open saying, come up here. Everything changes when Jesus came onto the scene and the heavens were torn open. We now get to live life like he did. We now get to do the stuff that he did. We now get to get heaven's perspective about everything we're facing. And not only that, we get to live in the radical favor of all that he purchased for us. His very flesh was like a curtain that was torn so that we can now come into the domain, the dwelling place of the king of kings. Everything has changed for the Christian. Everything. Why? Because there's blood on the floor in heaven. There is blood on the mercy seat. I never have to sacrifice in my own works ever again because there's one who's gone ahead of me who paid the ultimate price as the lamb that was slain. His blood is on the floor. I have free access. You have free access. Everything changes when you live your life like this, when you begin to realize there's never going to be a day where God's favor, blessing, God's tenderness won't be turned toward you. Not only that, the Bible says an incredible thing. The Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You might be seated in quite a tall building tonight. You might be thinking like, if you look out, you're big in the heavens. The truth is, you're seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Your position right now is not earthbound. Your position is being shaped by heaven's reality. Man, it's amazing. Do you remember the story of Esau and Jacob? Do you remember that story? Esau is uh, coming home from hunting. He's hungry. Okay, Esau gets a promise from his father, Isaac, 
and from his grandfather Abram, that one day in you and through you the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay? Incredible. You'll be a father to many nations. It's an incredible blessing. And as he's coming towards home, Jacob has been making, making a stew and it smells really good. And in a moment, Esau gives up something eternal for something temporary. So many Christians I know live like that. They give up an eternal reality of the promises of God to have a temporary satisfaction right now. And Esau says to Jacob, you know what, you can have my birthright if I can just have some of your food right now. What? What an exchange. What a dumb exchange. And Jacob, being the man of faith that he is, decides, I'll take that, thanks. I know about that promise. I heard about how God revealed himself to my grandfather Abram. I heard about how God revealed himself to my father Isaac. And I want the same blessing. And so he grabs the blessing. He goes to Isaac. And what he has to do is he has to get into Esau, as it were. He's got to feel like Esau. So he puts on some some, uh, uh, animal skin so he feels a bit hairy because Esau was kind of hairy. He's going to have to sound a little bit like Esau, so he's going to have to change his voice a little bit. He's going to have to, you know, everything about, he's even going to have to smell a bit like Esau. He's going to to have to smell like he's been hunting. Everything about him has to feel like Esau. And he gets into Esau, and he stands before Isaac, his father, and he gets his older brother's blessing given to him. Here's the truth. You and I are seated in heavenly places because we have been grafted into Christ. When we stand before the Father in the throne of heaven, we feel like him, we smell like him, we look like him, and the same blessing that's on our older brother Jesus is the same blessing that's on us. Man alive, that's exciting. There's never going to be a day, because I hear Christians saying to me this, do you know, Julian, I don't get to hear God's voice. And when I pray, it's really hard. It seems like the heavens are brass. There is never going to be a day when God's going to look at Jesus and go, I've just about had enough of your constant praying and interceding. Can you just be quiet for a moment? There's never going to be a day when God's not going to look at Jesus and say, Son, I delight in you. I love you. I want to give you all good things. There's never going to be a day when Jesus is going to kind of be sitting there at the Father's right hand and the Father's going to go, Do you mind just going somewhere else because you're just cramping my space a little bit? Yet for many Christians, because we don't know the reality of our free access right into the very courts of heaven, because we don't know the reality that we've been brought into Christ and now live with the very same favor, blessing and access that he has to the Father. Because of that, we live a life less ordinary than what God intended for us. Friend, when you begin to understand that you have free access into heavenly perspective, everything must change. The way you pray changes. Because all of a sudden, you're not simply praying for the needs you see. You're praying for heaven's reality to overwhelm the needs you see. All of a sudden, you're not moved by fear. You know, I often tell people this. The world might be going in a recession. There might be a bit of a recession happen. But I'm choosing not to participate in this recession. Because my address is not 
earthbound. My address is in Christ, in heavenly places. The last time I checked, there is no lack or recession in heaven. So how I give, how I live with my finances is not going to be determined by what the recession says, but by what heaven says. You see, everything changes when I begin to understand that I need to have a heavenly perspective. The way, the way I love people is changed because all of a sudden I see a man in heaven who's resurrected, whose blood is on the floor because he so passionately loved people. All of a sudden evangelism changes. Becoming a missional people changes because heaven sent his son Father sent his son. And so the way I live my life is not simply as one that is heading away from the world, but I am sent. I am sent. Everything changes. Under the old covenant, whatever you touched, if something was unclean, if you touched a leper and it was unclean, you became unclean. In the new covenant, Jesus models something else. He says, I touched a leper and the leper becomes clean. You know, under the old covenant, Jesus or, or any Jew would not be able to go into a Gentile home because he'd become unclean. Under the new covenant, Jesus says to a Gentile centurion, I'll come to your home and bless you. Because he realized that when you live under an open heaven, you become a carrier of God's reality. You become a carrier of heaven's reality. And the thing you touch changes. The places you go, you act as an atmosphere controller in releasing heaven. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven does not come through observation. It's not here or there. The kingdom of heaven is in you. Friend, you and I are called to be a radical people who wherever we go, we release the atmosphere of heaven's reality because we've got free access. I'm not afraid to touch Lepers. I'm not afraid to engage with the world. I'm not afraid to go to places where other people sometimes are afraid to go, thinking that they might get contaminated by sin, because I know my sin has been dealt with. And on the contrary, I now act as a dispenser of heaven, as a dispenser of the kingdom, rule and reign of Yahweh's domain. I am a dispenser, a holy dispenser of his reality. And wherever I go, I get to influence, shape, and change that reality to begin to reflect something of heaven. Everything must change. You know, when, when China went through the beginning stages of communism, everyone said, well, that's the end of the church in China. It's, nothing's going to happen. Heaven said, it's just beginning. And now there are millions and millions of Christians in China. Friend, I want to encourage you. When you live aware of the heavenly reality that you have access to, when you live aware of the reality that you've got unmerited, unlimited favor, (laughs) that's just radical, unmerited, unlimited favor, it means that you begin to realize that you really are the head and not the tail. You begin to realize, actually, you do have the answer. In fact, you are a walking answer to a lost and a dying world. 
Because the very same anointing, that authenticated anointing, simply a work for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. That authenticated the work of Jesus is the very same empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that authenticates you as a Christian and as a son or daughter of the Most High God. When you understand that you've got free access, everything changes. Everything changes. You see, when I understand I've got free access right into the heavens and I'll come in for a landing now and we'll do some ministry, I hope this is helping you. Because I find Christians often saying to me, Julian, you know, it's great God speaks to you. I, God, God speaks to any of his children. He'd be a bad father if he didn't speak to you. Jesus says in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you. And then he says, and I will send my spirit that where I am, you may be also. That is not talking about the day you die. It's talking about a present tense reality that you get to be where Jesus is right now. Where is Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you that you may be where he is also. I'll just tell you a little story. I was doing some meetings, uh, healing meetings in Cape Town, and there was this long line of people that I was praying for. And I came up to this little girl, some of you might have heard the story, I came up to this little girl, she's about eight or nine, and as I was praying for her, I felt God saying to me that she's going to have some real encounters with God. And I said, look, I feel God's going to give you amazing encounters, you're going to meet with him in a powerful way, even at a young age. And she looked at me kind of, you know, Nine-year-old girl style, I know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, you're quite confident. She said, she said, yeah, I've been to heaven a number of times. So I'm like, right, imagination problems. Let's talk to you afterwards. So I said, let me can I talk to you afterwards. You know, I'm trying to be really nice and pastoral. So she comes to me afterwards. And I said, so tell me, you know, what happens? She says, well, when I'm praying, I, I, I see Jesus come to me and he talks to me and he says, Come, I want to take you to uh, some places. I want to show you some things. Now, I'm thinking, great man of faith that I am, this isn't a fantastic imagination. This girl's really imagining amazing things. And then she says, um, on one of these visits, God told me to, God took me into, or Jesus took me into a room um, which had loads of different body parts in. Now, I'm really thinking, Twilight Zone, something's a bit strange. And she says, every time I pray for the sick now, Jesus said, all I need to do is come find the body part and give it to the person and they'll be healed. It's for real. So I'm thinking, well, okay, this sounds good. You know, we'll, we'll test it. I said, I want you to pray for me because I also want to see some of that. And she, she kind of giggled this thing. <sighs> I will. And she put her hand on me. <laughs> Nine-year-old girl. I mean, in South Africa, anyone who's old is called uncle. So she looked at me and she went, Lord, what Uncle Julian really needs is more faith to realize that he can go to heaven at any time. And I was like, I just got rebuked by a nine-year-old girl. (laughs) And then she began to tell me the secrets of my heart as she began to prophesy over me which I clearly realised this girl is being somewhere I haven't been before. 
There's a whole other reality called heaven that you get to press into. And God's going to use many different ways to speak to you. Visions, pictures, dreams. It could be anything, the word of God, that reflects that glorious reality so that you have tools in your hand to believe him for incredible breakthrough. The reason why heaven is open is that you can have full assurance of faith. I'm not afraid to approach heaven. In fact, many Christians, when they sin, this is what they do. (gasps) Okay, I've just sinned. I need to be really good for the next few days, and then I'll come and talk to God. This is saying, when you sin, come stand before the throne of grace because you find mercy. Full assurance of faith. When I approach heaven, my natural default is God's going to speak to me. Because he who promised is faithful. You've got free access. You've got free access. The second thing it does for me is I'm assured of righteousness. Because there's one who's made a new and living way by his very own blood. There's never going to be a day when the sacrifice that Jesus made will not work for me, will not be applied to me because I'm in him. And there's nothing in this world that could separate me from him. Man, we could start revival with that, just just that point. We really can start revival. And lastly, I just want to say this, because I I won't have time to get through all my notes, so I really want to minister. The result of living under an open heaven, the result of knowing you've got free access to the favor of God, the result of getting heavenly perspective about the way you live, results in radical worship. Because you see him, the lamb who was slain. And the thing you want to do most is love him, is gaze upon him. I was in a meeting recently where I felt God speak to me very powerfully and he said to me, son, you've lost your fascination with me. I've become so caught up in studying about God. I've become so caught up in getting all the theological arguments about God and I missed enjoying who he is. We've got free access to gaze upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Everything changes. The way I pray, the way I live my life, the way I approach the courts of the King has changed. I don't have to go through old ritualistic ways of doing things. You see, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways and he receives nothing from God. And you can't live under law and legalism and under grace in the same way. It's either one or the other. And I just so happen to really love the fact that he's so kind and gracious to me. Because the law is not appealing. Because all it does is point a finger at you, telling you what you've done wrong, but never lifts a finger to help you. Grace says, see your very heart is going to be transformed and you're going to want to obey me. It's in the process of gazing and beholding on him, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that it tells us we change from one degree of glory to another. Too many Christians struggle with sin because that's the thing they behold. 
Too many Christians struggle with earthly mentality and strongholds because that's what they're beholding. When you understand you've got free access to behold the very glory of God, you begin to be changed into that very image from one degree of glory to another. The ultimate result of knowing you've got free access is worship because the culture in which heaven exists and thrives is a culture of worship. 24-7, there are angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The dynamic result of knowing you've got free access is not that you do a whole lot more for God, it's that you spend a whole lot more time worshipping him. You can live under an open heaven. You can live like Jesus lived because he has gone ahead of us and prepared a way for you and me to enjoy the reality of his kingdom, of his rule and reign, of his power breaking out. The reality of that ever-increasing, beautiful kingdom can be real and tangible in all that we do. If you're not a Christian here today, you can enter that reality by simply responding to the incredible work that Jesus did on the cross in taking your sin on himself and freeing you from the penalty and judgment you so rightfully deserve and being raised from the dead so that you can now live in the newness of his resurrection life. All you need to do is respond to him and turn from those things that you know have drawn you away from him. The reality is that what I've just spoken about is the gospel in all of its glory. One has gone ahead of you. There is blood on the floor and on the mercy seat of heaven and you now can access freely the very courts of the dwelling place of God Most High. What an amazing truth.